Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we'd like to end our time with a chaser. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. We love hearing from our listeners, so feel free to contact us by email or social media. You can find our contact info in the show notes for this episode. If you'd like to support us through Patreon, you can find us there at Brutal, Bazaar, and Boozy Podcast, or use the link in our show notes. Are you tired of this reality? Us too. How about once a week you take a break and visit a different reality? In Jack Billings Presents Haunted Apartment Complex, we bring you a comedy podcast full of ghosts, werewolves, gentle vampires, and Frankenstein monstrosities made of 72 people stitched together. And somehow, that's not even the strange stuff. A proud member of the Podmoth Network. Every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. There's nothing wrong with your audio. I've been a ghost this whole time. Shyamalan Twist! So what story do you have for us today, Mom? I'm going to be telling you about Alcatraz Island, otherwise known as the Rock. Yes. It has a very extensive history that I didn't know before. So we're going to talk about the history and we're going to talk about some weird stuff associated with it as well. Isn't the movie, like the action movie, isn't that called The Rock? Yes, With because Steven Seagal. Uh, right. no. Where the they I don't have think Steven the, Seagal was in it. The, no, it was Sean Connery like and Chris. And and it was Sean Connery and Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. Oh, oh, the other shitty action actor that I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get Nicholas Cage and Steven Seagal mixed up a lot. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you could ever do that, but. Oh, they're both bad actors, so... Well, there's that. But yes, that movie was called The Rock. So what are you going to be telling us about? I'm going to be talking about Christopher Dorner. I'd never heard of this before, but it's a very interesting case. Okay, I'm looking forward to it, because you always come up with some interesting stuff that I'm like, I have never heard of that. Yeah, some of these things, I'm surprised that you've never heard of them because it makes sense if I didn't because I haven't been an adult for very long. But (laughs) (laughs) so to go with this case, I have the California car bomb, which is a little misleading because there's no bomb aspect to it. Like normally, if you do like a Jaeger bomb, you drop a shot into. A shot of Jaeger into Red Bull. Oh, hang on. My cat's trying to go crazy right now. Let me open the window for her. There we go. So, normally if you do like a bomb, like the the Irish car bomb, that's, I believe, a shot of whiskey into Guinness. So, there's no bomb aspect to this, according no, to the recipe. Not. But I'm pretty sure the recipe instructions are wrong because it says to shake everything in a shaker, which... Okay, so this shot is 
sorry, not a shot. This drink is one ounce Jägermeister, one ounce Red Bull, one ounce one ounce of orange vodka, and one ounce of cranberry juice. And the website that I got the recipe from says to shake all ingredients in the shaker, but carbonated drinks don't go well in the shaker. So no. I kind of did my own thing. I shook the other things together and then topped with Red Bull. So there's probably more than one ounce of Red Bull in there, but mm, okay. I didn't shake all I, that stuff together because that's a bad I idea. did shake all of mine, and it went okay. Mm. Okay. It, it so didn't it explode. A... I did question okay. why I was doing that, but I was like, well, if it explodes, then it explodes. Maybe that's why they call it a bomb because when you shake it all up, the Red <laughs> the Bull The shaker explodes. explodes. Maybe. Um, it's not good. It's not bad. I don't like Red Bull. It's, I haven't had it in a long time. So, yeah. Um, it used to be my favorite energy drink, but I don't drink energy drinks anymore. So, it's kind of gross. I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't, I don't like this drink. It's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of gross. I don't but know. But if you if like it's Red the, Bull, maybe it's a thing. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what I'm getting that's so really funky taste i i don't know probably the red bull probably because i don't like energy drinks i think they taste like cough syrup Yuck. Okay. Not not a fan. Tell us a story that that disgusting drink goes with. Okay. Do you, you'll see why I picked this drink in a, in a little bit. So, Dorner oh, okay. was born on June 4th, 1979 and grew up in Southern California. He attended Cypress High School in Cypress, California, where he graduated in 1997. After high school, he attended Southern Utah University, where he played football for the, for the university. He was a running back. Okay. 2001, he graduated with a major in political science. After college, Chris joined the Navy and uh, was part of the United States Naval Reserve. 2006, Chris joined the LAPD while he was still in the Navy Reserve. But shortly after this, he was deployed to Bahrain with the Coastal Ravine Group 2. So Navy Reserve is like you're still part of the Navy, but you don't go overseas and stuff. You spend most of your time here, and if they really need you, they'll send you out. So that's why he was able to have two jobs at this point in time because oh, okay. like, he was actively fighting people. He just like, if they need his help, then they'll pull him out so gotcha he spent a few year few more years in the military after his deployment and was honorably discharged in early 2013 while serving he received a naval right while serving he received a naval rifle marksmanship ribbon and a navy pistol shot ribbon with expert device which can come in it'll, it'll come into context later of why this is important oh this doesn't sound good. So when he returned from his deployment, he continued with his training for the LAPD. 
In July of 2007, Chris was out with his training officer, Teresa Evans, when he told her he planned on suing the LAPD for the way he was treated in the academy. So, on July 28, 2007, Dorner and Evans responded to a call at the Doubletree Motel in San Pedro. The call regarded a disturbance being caused by Christopher Gettler, who had schizophrenia and severe dementia. So, just a real bad hand dealt to him. Yeah, those are like, not good like, things really to go together. Bad mental illnesses, yeah. Yeah. Gettler was arrested and came in with some damage to his face and was treated by medical staff. The following day, Chris read his evaluation from the day of Gettler's arrest. Evans said that he needed to improve his performance. This upset Chris, and the next day Chris filed a report claiming that Evans kicked Gettler in the chest and multiple times in the face after he was already in handcuffs. Oh. Yeah. So he didn't report okay. it right after the arrest. He reported it after he found out that his training officer said it needs more work. Okay. An investigation was launched and Evans was assigned to desk duty. Which basically means she can't go on patrol anymore. She just sits in the office and does paperwork and stuff. Okay. Which I'm assuming most cops like is the worst punch they can get. Yeah. yeah. During the investigation, Dorner's attorney at the board hearing was former LAPD Captain Randall Kwan. Multiple witnesses told the review board that Evans did not kick Gettler. However, Gettler's father told the board that Evans did in fact kick his son in the head. So, conflicting parties, but... Yeah. Two um, different yeah. stories. Okay. Seven months after the incident took place, the investigation concluded that Chris had lied, which resulted in him being fired from the LAPD. Okay. Dorner appealed his termination by filing a writ of mandamus with the Los Angeles County Superior Court. However, Judge David Yafe agreed with the LAPD's decision to fire Chris. Dorner appealed the California Court of Appeals which affirmed the lower court's ruling on October 3rd, 2011. So we kept trying to bring it up, and they're like, no, man, we agree with the LAPD. You should have been fired. And so we just right. kept bringing it to the next higher-up court. Oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah. So only days after his honorable discharge from the Navy, Anderson Cooper from CNN received a package from Chris. The package stated that his, like, it was just a letter with his complaints of what happened with him in the LAPD. And inside was also an LAPD challenge coin, which, like, I know military and apparently, like, some police departments issue coins for, like, kind of like a medal. It's like, oh, you did a good okay. job. Here's the, you, oh, here's okay. the coin that we made for you. Okay. Yeah, so that it included a challenge coin that had multiple shots put into it. So oh. uh, the, letter, the letter mentioned that he was 100 yards out and shot the coin multiple times with a grouping uh, within one inch. Which for people who haven't shot guns a lot, that's pretty fucking good. That's a really accurate yeah. person. Yeah. Because 
to be able to shoot a coin from a hundred yards and right. I'm assuming the coin itself is only like an inch or so. I would so think he just, so. Yeah. Even if so it's that, the size of a dinner plate, that's still pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so that's where his expert marksmanship ribbon came from. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. On February 3rd, two days after Cooper received his package, Monica Kwan and her fiancé Keith Lawrence were found dead in their Kia outside their apartment. They had been shot multiple times. Who? Monica was. Okay, so you're Monica tell us who. Kwan Okay, sorry. Was the <laughs> daughter of the former LAPD captain, who was also his lawyer, Randall Kwan. So, oh. yeah, yeah, the guy oh, okay. who defended him in the in the hearing. Oh. It was his, his daughter. daughter. Oh. Yes. Oh, jeez. So the following day, Chris posted an 11,000-word document on Facebook detailing his history and his plans. So many words. Which many deemed a manifesto. Yeah. Which is never a good word. Never. No. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk positively about a manifesto. manifesto. Nope. 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 That's all bad. The document started off as saying, unfortunately, this is a necessary evil that I do not enjoy, but must partake and complete for substantial change to occur within the LAPD and reclaim my name. The department has not changed since the Rampart and Rodney King's days. It has gotten worse. So it was the opening to his manifesto. Wow. It also detailed his motive his plans, and the list of 40 law enforcement officers who he prepared to kill and stated, I know most of you who personally know me are in disbelief to hear from media reports that I am suspected of committing such heinous murders. I have taken drastic and shocking actions in the last couple of days. On February 5th, he was seen checking into a naval base in San Diego but there were no records of him leaving, which is kind of weird. Because okay. when you check into military bases, you have to check in with the military police that are in the, they're stationed at yeah, the, like, the gate. entry point gate. Yeah. yeah. And So they recorded him leaving, but or entering, but not leaving. Okay. So two days later, police officers were reporting to a call claiming a man saw someone matching Chris's description. The officers were followed. Uh, the officers were following a truck they suspected of being Chris when suddenly the truck stopped. Chris exited the truck and shot a rifle at the officers, grazing uh, one officer's head. Oh, yeah! Hey. So we just slammed on the brakes in the middle of the road and got out and started shooting. Okay. He was able to escape after the shooting, but only 20 minutes after the altercation, two officers nearby were stopped at a light in their patrol car. Chris ran up to them and shot into their car. One officer died and the other survived after life-saving surgery. So we just ran up and started shooting into the cop car. Oh, jeez. Hours after the second shooting, Chris's car was found smoldering up near Big Bear Lake. Hence the California car bomb. Because Big Bear's in California. (laughs) Gotcha. 
Yes, it is. Yes. And he was in California. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the following day, a $1 million reward was offered for the capture of Chris. And an, an unmanned drone was deployed to the area to search for him. So, like, the drones that the military would use in Iraq, like, predator drones and stuff like that were sent into the Big Bear Lake area to look for them. Okay. Because that, if you haven't been down there, it's it's mostly woods. So it'd be very easy yeah, to escape really at big. big Bear. Yeah, it's really big. Yeah. So on February 12th, police responded to a carjacking of a white pickup. The driver was fine, but said a man matching Chris's description was the thief. The vehicle was found and chased to a cabin in the San Bernardino Mountains. Chris hopped out the truck and fired at the sheriff's officers who were chasing him. He hit both, and they were airlifted oh. to a nearby hospital. One officer survived, and the other passed away at the hospital. Oh, no. This guy's a Chris dick. Ran inside. Yeah. 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 Chris ran inside and barricaded himself. Officers from multiple departments and agencies surrounded the cabin and set up an operational command center nearby. Officers tried to force him out by using tear gas that were launched into the cabin. This didn't work, so they took a destructive vehicle. And I don't quite know what that means, but I've seen... So, there's this... Uh, I don't even know which... I guess destructive vehicle is the only thing you could call it. It's called a rook. And it's like... Uh, it it's like a bobcat pretty much, but it's armored, so oh. the police can use it to tear down walls and like hostage situations oh, and okay. stuff without gotcha. fear of getting shot or ex like blown up or anything. Okay. So it's so it's like a remote control. For... No, there's a dude sitting inside of it. Oh, but it's completely oh, but it's armored. armored. It's made out of like oh. glass and like steel, like reinforced steel and stuff. So it's like okay. It's kind of cool looking, honestly, but Interesting. they started breaking down some walls with a destructive vehicle. They didn't clarify what it is, but I'm assuming it's probably a rook. Chris was still holed up inside, so they launched pyrotechnical tear gas called burners, which I didn't know were a oh. thing, but. Like flashbangs. Sounds, sounds cool. But I don't, yeah. I think they like burn. Oh. Like, I don't think it's just like a pop. I think it like burns oh, i don't know interesting. yes so this caused a fire to start in the cabin and quickly became engulfed in flames not even this could convince chris to come out and a single gunshot could be heard from inside oh the fire continued on and caused a huge amount of stored ammo to cook off and cooking oh. off is what happens when Ammo reaches extreme temperatures and it causes the gunpowder to ignite inside the bullet without it being shot through a gun. Okay. So like the temperatures got it so explodes. hot it caused it doesn't explode, but it sends the round off as if you were shooting it. So it's just Ooh. shooting every oh. single way. It's super dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds it, terrible. If you have like just a box of ammo and it gets too hot, it's just gonna start shooting off everywhere. Yeah, not good. Yeah. No. So this made it unsafe for authorities to put out the fire until almost 24 hours later. Inside, they found a male with a headshot wound 
and a driver license matching Chris's. Wow. That's the story of Chris Dorner. And I'd like to say, I, so I was listening to this podcast about a former um, drone pilot whistleblower for the Army, I believe. And I will say, he sounded very crazy in his interview, but he also said that he talked with uh, he talked with someone who was working for the LAPD at the time, and they said that they used a Hellfire missile on that drone that was looking for him to burn the house down, and it wasn't a pyrotechnical tear gas grenade. But again, oh. he sounded very crazy, so I don't know if there's any validity to that. Oh, but gotcha. I think that would have been one of the first cases of someone using a Hellfire missile in the United States. But again, I don't know if there's any validity to that. I just thought I'd mention it because it was interesting because that does sound weird. Yeah, because I don't I've never heard of a pyrotechnical smoke grenade or tear gas grenade. But again, I'm not in the LAPD or the military. So maybe they have that. Right. Maybe. (laughs) I wouldn't know either. A lot of their gun. I don't know. Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's just super weird though that it was a former cop who did it, and yeah, that's a former so sad. veteran. And yeah, also sad. the fact that he was honorably discharged a day before killing Miranda. Wow! Yeah. So Interesting tragic. case. I'm surprised you hadn't heard of it because it was in no, 2013. I, I figured that would be all over the news. It probably was, but you know. There was other stuff going on in life that I didn't watch a lot of the news. I still don't watch a lot of the news. So now if it doesn't pop up on Instagram, I'm not going to see it. Dad's like always invested in criminals that kill cops and stuff, though. That's true. He he does. I figured he would have heard of that. See that stuff a little more. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about your story, Mom. Okay. We're going to talk about Alcatraz. Alcatraz Island, also known as The Rock, is a small island in the San Francisco Bay. It is one and a quarter miles away from San Francisco. Over the years, the island has been used for many different purposes, ranging from a military fortress to the home of an indigenous protest, indigenous people protest, and probably most famously for housing a federal prison. I think that's what most people remember it for. How did and that's the protesters get there? We're going to go into that. I'm going to tell okay, you all about okay. it. I'm going to go over the history, like semi-chronologically of all of the different things. Because I've been there. I don't remember if I think you went there with us when we lived down there. But you were young, so you probably don't remember it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very lengthy history behind the island and the buildings and stuff. So the weather in that area, quarantine zone, like Paviglia, 
was ever used as a quarantine zone like Paviglia? It was not. Uh, not in historical. However, um, there was some rumors that uh, Native Americans used it kind of as a prisoner island as well. So kind of as mm. like people that, you know, were on the fringe, they kind of would throw out there America's and go, Australia. figure it out, figure it out. You can survive okay. there or don't. We don't care. Yeah. But if you're not familiar with that area, the weather is not nice. It's pretty brutal and unforgiving. And there's often heavy, heavy fog, as well as some pretty brutal cold winds that go through there. Uh, it is an island, meaning it is surrounded by water. And the water is also not very nice. There's pretty harsh currents and reportedly sharks that live in that bay. Not want to go swimming around in there, but... No, it's kind of sharks because I don't. I think they're big sharks, not just like little reef black tip, but I don't know. I think they get great white over there, but I'm not sure. I it's think been they do. Shark week, so. huh. I think they do because I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did because I've heard that just a few hours north of there in Crescent City. That's like a pretty popular breeding ground for great white, and they will often have babies in that bay. So another place you don't want to go swimming if there's great white, great white sharks there. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's great white just a few hours south in San Francisco Bay, but I'm not sure. Due to the climate and the location of the island, it is considered escape proof. Well, hopefully. Uh, it made it a great place for a maximum security prison. We're going to start at the beginning, though, and that is when it was first named. So the island is a large rocky feature that is a popular habitat for many birds. And in 1775, Spanish explorer Lieutenant Juan Manuel de Ayala sailed into the bay and noted geographic landmarks of the area. So he's putting stuff on maps, and he named... This particular island, Isla de los Alcatraces, meaning Island of Pelicans, because there were apparently a lot of pelicans on it when he went past it. So it's been shortened to Alcatraz. And so that was the name that is the more popular one. From 1850 to 1933, Alcatraz Island was a military base known as Alcatraces. President Fillmore declared the island a military base in 1850. Construction on the island began three years later. Several structures were built for defensive purposes and included a lighthouse, steep walls, cannons, gun batteries, towers, barracks, a drawbridge, a deep dry moat, a boat dock, and a guardhouse. So they had a lot of structures that they put on this basic rocky island, but... Uh, with the purpose of it being a military base. Several of the buildings contained slit windows that were used for rifle fire in case of attack. Howitzers, a military weapon that is kind of a cross between a cannon and a mortar, were placed around the structure as well. Entrance to the barracks could only occur by a drawbridge that covered a deep dry moat. The steep walls meant that accessing the island could only occur at the boat dock 
And then invaders would have to go through the guardhouse to get to the rest of the island. So there was a moat on the island? Or are they just calling it a moat because they're on an island that... (laughs) Well, it was described as a dry moat. So I didn't see any pictures depicting it. (laughs) I think that's basically what it was, was like a crevasse in the rock. And they were like, we're going to call that a moat. But it was dry. There was no there was no water in it. So um, in 1859, there were troops permanently stationed on the island for the purposes of defending the Bay Area. Although originally planned as a military location, it also turned out that the island was a good place for a prison. Shocking. Before the end of the Civil War, several military personnel were incarcerated there. And in 1861, Alcatraz Island was designated as the military prison for the Department of the Pacific. Once the Civil War ended, the need for defense decreased, but the location was still valuable as a prison. So more structures were built to accommodate an increasing number of prisoners, but these were military prisoners. On average, there were 100 prisoners being held in the facility in the the late 1800s. Also in the late 1800s, there were many American Indians imprisoned on the island. Those men were usually involved in some type of dispute. Were those from the previous tribes or was it just they got arrested doing something and they put there? So the, the American Indians that they put there were typically ones that were having a, a dispute with the government. So people like the Native Americans that didn't agree with the U.S. government taking their land and they would some type of protest against it, they would throw them on Alcatraz in the military prison. Um, there were also ones that back in this time they thought that they needed to quote unquote re-educate the native American children um, so that they would understand and try and relearn and forget the native American ways and do more of the white man ways. If you want to call it that, I don't know. It's a horrible part of most countries histories. (laughs) What's that? Like a Canadian type deal where they're trying to reinstitute Native Americans. Yeah. Yeah, we did it too. I mean, unfortunately, that's kind of you the should. way that a lot of countries do it. I mean, similar things I've heard from Australia that they take first landers, you know. Uh, at, in, that's yes, they used to call them Aborigines and they don't call them that anymore, I believe. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't In know that was a two years. <laughs> I know that's the thing is like two years from now, anything that you call it could be deemed offensive. So if I'm saying it wrong, I apologize. It's not intended to be offensive, it, you know, disrespectful or offensive in any way. I'm just, you know, it's kind of, it's that hard line of, you're not even, I, some people say you can't say Native American and you're supposed to call them indigenous people. So I'm just going to call them all of those things. We're just going to yeah. use a term that hopefully it, most people will not find offensive. But those were typically the uh, 
indigenous men that were put into that military prison on Alcatraz. Some of them, though, were actually working with the military as scouts, um, but they did something that the military considered treasonous. I don't know what that was specifically, but apparently they were like, oh, you did something that crossed the line, so we're going to throw you in the military prison out on Alcatraz. So not just military personnel that did something against the law, but it was also some political prisoners pretty much (laughs) essentially yeah i mean that's definitely a a way to think of it so many of the prison buildings were made of wood and were basically threatened by fire sometimes created by the inmates um but they started to make brick buildings so that it would help prevent fire issues In 1907, the island was fully designated as a military prison and no longer used for defensive purposes. Military prisoners were used to build the new facility. So you live here, you're stuck here, you might as well build yourself a new place to live. So they did that over the top of the previous barracks, basement, and the moat. So it's not bad enough that you're in prison, but you got to build the prison for yourself. I think that's the how complex, better that you're going to sell all the... You have that's to like true. At least you're doing cool. something. Yeah. And maybe the hit a guard in the head with a hammer or something. Well, I don't know if any of that happened, but <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah. So when they uh, did this new facility, uh, it, com- it was uh, created with uh, four cell blocks for a total of 600 cells, a kitchen, a dining hall, hospital... Recreation, recreation yard and administrative offices. It was finished in 1912 and became the largest concrete reinforced building in the world at that time. Which is pretty cool. Except that it was a prison, so that's not cool. As a military prison, it was a minimum security facility with most prisoners only being locked in their cells at night. During the day, they participated in educational programs and work release which sometimes took place off the island. So in San Francisco City, they would take some of the military prisoners over there to do work jobs. And well, that made sneaking away from your work duty job a little bit easier if you're not on the island. So that kind of negated some of that whole escape proof idea there. Well, Having an island prison. Thing with a lot of prisons is that they'll have like for the good prisoners, they'll let them go like work release out in public and do yeah yeah right and that's basically jeffrey epstein was on fucking work release which (laughs) we'll see we saw that played out so (laughs) yeah uh although having an island prison was convenient to keeping prisoners in place the island was inconvenient in regards to supplies it was costly to transport water and food out to the island And in 1933, the military closed the prison and transferred the remaining prisoners. The following year, the island was turned into a federal maximum security prison, and it remained that until 1963. The focus of the prison was centered on high-profile prisoners that caused concern in the public regarding safety and organized crime. The government wanted a remote facility that prevented regular communication of the inmates that were often considered the worst of the worst. Some of the more notorious prisoners included Arthur Doc Barker. He was a gangster that was in prison for a kidnapping conspiracy. 
he attempted he attempted to escape from Alcatraz, but he was killed in the event. Al Capone, a.k.a. Scarface, another notable American gangster crime boss, he was from Chicago, and he was known uh, for his brutal attacks, but he was ultimately convicted for tax evasion. They were like, we got to get this guy off the streets, so just throw him in there yeah. for anything. You can figure it out. He's not the only Chicagoan that went there, though, as in Whitey Bulger from our previous episode. Oh. He spent some time at Alcatraz and right. underwent some LSD testing there. So he must not have been oh. the only one. <laughs> yeah. They yeah. did not mention the LSD stuff in any of the information that I found, but I wouldn't be surprised. They were doing some well, not well, nice stuff there, there on that island. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so George Kelly Barnes, AKA machine gun Kelly was also out there. He was a notable gangster, mm -hmm. uh, and was involved in bootlegging operations at the time of prohibition and, uh, Robert Stroud, AKA the Birdman of Alcatraz. He was a convicted murderer and he, he was called Birdman because he loved birds and he like had a whole bird thing going on when he was in Leavenworth. But when they sent him to Alcatraz, he was not allowed to keep birds any longer. Like Shawshank Redemption type shit. Um, so the Federal <laughs> Bureau. I, I've seen it, but it's been a million years uh, ago, so I the, don't remember. There's a prisoner in there who had a pet crow. <laughs> he like oh. the crow would come and visit him and he got super upset when he left prison because he couldn't see his crow anymore. And he oh. Just himself, so. <laughs> oh, no, I think um, we'll when I was alert. reading Sorry, that before. <laughs> yeah, when I was reading on the Birdman, they were saying that at Leavenworth, I believe it was like canaries or something that he and he became super knowledgeable about the birds that he was caring for at Leavenworth. And then when they moved him to Alcatraz, they were like, you can't keep birds anymore. So that sucks. I think he. I think he died there, but I'm not, I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Um, the Federal Bureau of Prison modernized the buildings and added more security. During its operation, over 1,500 people were housed at the federal prison. Cells were typically nine foot by five foot with seven foot high ceilings, which is like so damn small. I can't even. Ugh. The cells well, contain. Nine a by bed, 11, you said? Nine by five. With seven oh. foot high ceilings. It's tiny. Yeah. That's tiny. The ceiling height is bigger than the rest of the room. <laughs> Barely. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. But even seven foot high ceilings, I mean, most houses, it's 10 plus. So, you know, think cutting I, two my feet last off. Apartment, I think that was seven foot. <laughs> it might have been. It might have been. I punched the ceiling multiple times trying to play VR in that place. <laughs> Oops. Oh, gosh. In the beginning and for many years, inmates reported inhumane conditions and a lot of brutality. But by the late 1915s, conditions seemed to have improved a little bit. Inmates were given some freedoms and privileges, included playing music, watching movies, painting, and using the radio. The island was just as problematic for the Bureau of Prisons as it had been for the military. Okay. 
if one group says this place is too expensive to run, what makes you think it's going to be any different for the Federal Bureau of Prisons? I don't know, but they were like, hey, Probably let's take over that island. and bankroll. They do, but you still, there's no water on the island. They had to transport water in. I mean, that's what they were saying that, you know, the expense of transporting in supplies was so outrageous because, you know, you have to take a ferry over to the island. It's not just driving down the street and going to Costco and buying a giant thing of peanut butter. Yeah. It, and I guess they probably didn't have reverse osmosis things back then to like turn the seawater into drinkable water. So, yeah, it didn't sound like it. Uh, plus, the salt water was problematic because the being on the ocean, the sea spray would cause the buildings to deteriorate faster. So, they're rust. You know, <laughs> yeah, they're, everything's falling apart. So, the cost of operation of that uh, prison was three times the price as the average prison in other parts of the country. So that caused its closure in March of 1963. It had been a federal prison for 29 years. Alcatraz was supposed to be an escape-proof prison, but that didn't mean that inmates didn't try. Prison officials claimed that no one successfully escaped from Alcatraz. There were 14 attempts from 36 prisoners. Six of the prisoners were shot and killed during the attempt. 23 were caught and two drowned. However, five inmates were listed as missing and presumed drowned, but their bodies were never recovered. So 14 attempts from 30. Does that mean like mul it was multiple people per attempt? Yes. It's not like one per. Okay. No. Okay. So it was often several people that were trying to escape together and they were helping each other. It wasn't just like one guy that's like, I got to get out of here. And he tried to escape. There was, uh, I'm going to talk about one of the escape attempts. Um, it was pretty lengthy and they planned it for a while, months. Might be getting ahead so, of myself, but I thought there was one like successful escape. Well, that's what we're going to talk about. That's coming up okay. next. Okay. So... Uh, being in the bay with heavy current and predators made it possible that the bodies were never recovered, but it also was a distinct possibility that those men actually survived the escape and were able to live their lives under the radar. In fact, the most major, the last major escape attempt occurred in 1962 by three men. It was actually supposed to be four men, but it ended up being three men. They spent six months prepping for the attempt using discarded saw blades, spoons, and a makeshift drill that they made from a vacuum cleaner motor. They used the tools to widen the ventilation ducts and used false walls to hide their work. The men created a rubber raft out of stolen raincoats and had hand-stitched those raincoats together to make a raft. Uh, and then they used liquid plastic to make the seams waterproof. To fool guards into thinking that the men were. That. I think yeah. they tested that method on Mythbusters. They did. They did. And okay. Mythbusters That's was successful. One. Okay. That's the one, yeah. Um, so they made the raft. To fool the guards, they made paper mache heads. And put them in their beds to look like they were sleeping. 
Her absence wasn't discovered until the next morning. Another inmate had planned to escape with them, but technical difficulties prevented him from joining them on time and they left him behind. He ended up being a key piece of information regarding the techniques. So he, he stayed back. He got left behind and he was like, all right, here's how they did it. And he told him everything. Yeah. A thorough search was conducted and the FBI reported no trace of the men were ever located and the FBI closed their case 17 year li- 17 years later but they are still listed on the marshals like wanted list so the marshals didn't take them off but reports um in the 2010s came out that the men did survive and had managed to go to another country and live undetected there were reports that a raft was located on a nearby island shortly after the attempt and footprints led away from the raft. The car or uh, the night of the escape, a car was stolen nearby and that was reportedly done by three men. So, so rumors. Right. Nope. Definitely not them. Rumors were that officials knew about the information, but they covered it up because you don't want people knowing it's supposed to be an escape proof prison. You don't want your escape proof prison to now be escapable. So the rumor is that a normal prison. <laughs> yeah. That the FBI was like, Nope, they died in the water. They got eaten. So who knows? But yeah, the family of the men that, were involved in that escape attempt said, no, they did survive. And we know that they did. We've had contact with them. So that's cool. uh, Yeah. After the prison closed, the Island was inhabited, uninhabited for several years. However, there were a few hours in 1964 where a small group of about 40 people, including Sioux tribe members occupied the Island as a political demonstration. This came about when one of the Sioux members recalled a legal treaty from 1868. The treaty stated that if any any federal land was labeled as surplus, then the Sioux tribe could take ownership of the land. The demonstration ended that day when members were threatened with legal charges. Many members of many other tribes, including some students from nearby colleges, were still interested in pursuing uh, getting that treaty used and then taking ownership of the island uh, with a specific purpose of using it for indigenous people. In November 1969, they successfully gathered 89 indigenous people with the intent of occupying the island. The Coast Guard was able to block many of them from entering the island, but 14 protesters successfully made it to the island. That number grew and at the highest point during the occupation, there were over 400 protesters present on Alcatraz. A medical clinic, school, and daycare were established during the occupation. Future plans for the island by the protesters included building a cultural center, spiritual center, ecology center, and an American Indian museum. Towards the end, there were some differences in opinion by a few of the organizers as to what their end goals were and their plan of action. So there was a little bit of infighting that led to several, a bunch of people just saying, we're not dealing with this drama anymore. And they left in late May of 1971, all power and telephone service to the Island had been cut by the government. 
The disputes between the members and lack of services caused more of the occupiers to leave, and eventually there were less than 20 members still living on the island. A few weeks later, government officials removed those uh, last remaining occupiers, and the entire occupation lasted about 19 months. In 1973, Alcatraz became a tourist attraction, and it offers tours to the general public. But Alcatraz isn't just known for prisons and protests. It is listed on the top five most haunted places in California. So Native American legend says that Alcatraz Island is haunted by evil spirits. Before the American government took over the island, the Native Americans would send people who had disobeyed tribal law to the islands. So this is where I was mentioning, like, if you disobeyed tribal law, they were just like, go sit on the rock and figure it out and you can live there or die there, but you're done. Uh, sometimes they'd been sent there for a life of solitary abandonment because at that time there was no housing on it. It was just a big rocky island. But so now we're going to get into some ghosty stuff, the haunting part. Staff and visitors report seeing, hearing, and feeling some of the banished souls while outside of the island. Inside the buildings are more stories. Phantom prisoners and soldiers were reportedly seen by prison guards and their families throughout the years. Crying and moaning sounds have also been reportedly heard near cell box A, B, and C. Sometimes the moaning sounds have been described as coming from inside of the concrete walls which would be so creepy. Yeah. I'd like to think no, that thank you. creepy as hell. Yeah, I don't want that. Prison guards have mentioned hearing cannon fire and gunshots as well. Guards often reported smelling smoke coming from an unused laundry room. They would go in to investigate it. There would be heavy smoke in the room. They would, um, and then that smoke would disappear minutes later. Reportedly, the most haunted cell is 14D, which was used in times for solitary confinement. It has been said that one inmate actually died in the cell after screaming repeatedly that a monster was going to kill him. So they think that he was screaming. Um, some believe that a guard strangled him to make him shut up and then actually killed him. Um, but others think that it was this monster that he saw that caused his death because none of the guards ever admitted it. But what guard is going to admit that they strangled and killed an inmate? I don't think so. Visitors to this cell report severe cold and hearing clanging noises as well as screams. Disturbingly, many visitors to this cell have mentioned feeling a tingling sensation in their bodies. Elsewhere in the prison, a psychic reported to have encountered a ghost identified as the Butcher. Prison records show there was an inmate with the name, the nickname Butcher that had been killed at the facility by another inmate. Some visitors have reported hearing banjo music coming from the shower area. Rumor was that Al Capone would often play the banjo in the showers because he feared being killed if he was seen out in the open playing the banjo. He must not have been a very good banjo player if he thought people were going to kill him because he was playing banjo, but I get that. 
And cell block like C. It's fairly annoying if you don't want to hear banjo Agreed. in your lockdown fucking concrete Agreed. box. Agreed. Agreed 100%. <laughs> I don't think I would dig that very much. Cell block C, uh, there was a deadly riot that occurred in 1946. It's in this area that visitors have reported hearing loud banging noises that stop when a door is opened and then resumed once the door is closed. And others claim to have seen ghosts in this area as well as hearing disembodied voices. As with many haunted places, the common theme is repeated at Alcatraz. Feelings of being watched, hearing footsteps not made by a live human, and lots and lots of screaming. So there's lots of people screaming at Alcatraz. Although I didn't hear anything when we were there. The extensive history for the island definitely lends well to ghostly inhabitants from multiple eras. That is Alcatraz. That's spooky. Very. I don't think I'd want to go back now that I'm an adult. <laughs> I'd prefer to keep away from spirits and ghouls and I think I kind of want to go back because I want to see if there's, if I hear anything. I didn't know all of this history behind it before. Apparently you have to sneak away and like go down into a, a lower cells to like actually get spooked out. Because I guess mm. Bert Kreischer went there and he said that's what he did. He had like a private oh, really? tour and he broke oh. off from the group and snuck <laughs> into like the lower levels and got really scared <laughs> i'm not i'm not sneaking away from anything in there because i don't want to one i'm a big old chicken i don't want to get in trouble and no i don't want to get lost so Do you have a chaser for us today? I do, and it's kind of related to my story, too. Ooh, do so tell. I found this organization, I guess you could call it, for veterans, and it's called the Human Exploitation Rescue Operation. So, Ooh. short, it's the Hero Corps, but they take... Uh, veterans a lot of like disabled veterans and stuff and they give them a 10 month crash course in like cyber security and basically they're teaching these veterans how to find and like go after people who make or disseminate um child pornography oh. so they're like taking veterans and they're making them uh they're teaching them how Cyber to find space. cyber criminals, yeah, that are specifically yeah. in, involved in human trafficking and, like, Ugh. pedophilia and stuff like that. So I, a, I thought it was that's cool. That's a that great thing. Yeah. One, I think it's cool that they're even doing that. And two, it's cool that they take veterans and train them how to do it. Because yeah, I know a lot of these awesome. veterans that come home that, like, struggle. It's because they don't have, like a purpose of protecting people like they did right. in the military. So this would give them a second purpose. Yeah. That's awesome. That's a cool thing. Yeah, I'll try and uh, find some information on that and uh, include it in our show notes. If people want to go find out more about it or 
help support the cause in any way. I'm sure that, you know, they're looking for support. Everybody's looking for support these days. Well, it's a branch of Homeland Security. So I think they're, um, they're funded. They're not looking paid for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're a veteran, you'd like to check it out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. People should know about it. 22 employees or something like that. So, wow. I think they need more than that. A lot more. This is a gross world. They need more than that. What's your chaser? My chaser is an article I found on Good News Network um, about the fourth annual Comedy Pet Awards that was done in London. So it's a photography uh, award that people send in pictures of their funny pets. And there were super cute things where like, there's one little kitty cat. I believe this was the the first place winner this year where one little kitty cat was sitting minding his own business and his little brother kitty cat is coming to attack him from behind and it's really cute. And there's a dog jumping. And so I'll include, I'll find some pictures and include them in our uh, Instagram uh, post this week because they were really, really cute. Sweet. Yeah. Well, is that the end of our podcast? We get there already? We did. It was a little bit of a longer one because my story was long. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Come check us out. Thank you very much. Uh, Love you, Mom. Love you too, bud. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, friends. Thank you for supporting our podcast. Please share our show with your brutal and bizarre friends. Give us a boozy follow on your favorite podcast platform. If you're feeling extra generous, we'd appreciate a five-star rating or review as well. But maybe do that sober so all the letters are in the right place. You can find all our contact information in the show notes. We love hearing from you, and if you're interested in helping us stock the bar for our future boozy episodes, you can find our Patreon link in the show notes as well.